On September 8th, 2015, the first episode of Set Lusting Bruce was released. To celebrate our anniversary month, I plan to put out a new episode every day this month. If you're not part of our Patreon group, please think about supporting the podcast by making a small monthly donation. Everyone who joins gets a personal thank you card from me and a Set Lusting Bruce sticker. During this month, I'd love to get some new reviews on iTunes and other podcast players. If you haven't rated the podcast before, please go to wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating, hopefully five star, and let people know why you love the podcast. Hope you enjoy this month of episodes. And now on to the show. And I became a Bruce fan in 1978. And it was the Border Run album. And I really liked the Beatles. I liked Queen. I liked the Rolling Stones. But really, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band and their music has been the soundtrack to my entire life. And if you look at my high school yearbook, my little profile ends, Tramp Like Us, Tramps Like Us. And when I graduated from McGill University in Montreal, Uh, that yearbook, Tramps Like Us, and the same thing with law school. So I became an obsessed Bruce and E Street fan after, it, it was after Darkness was released. And the first album that I discovered was Born to Run. Then when Darkness was released, I listened to that album and it gripped me and it ha- it's had a hold on me my entire life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. I have a wonderful fan, my brand new friend. We've already spent 20 minutes talking before I hit the record button. Alan Walsh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jesse. It's great to be here with you today. Yeah, tell us about yourself. I'm an attorney, born and raised in Montreal. I went to law school in LA. After law school, I went to work in the LA County DA's office where I was a prosecutor. It was a time when the DA's office was undermanned and understaffed. And within one year, I was trying murder cases. It's so extraordinary at the time to compare in 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 Manhattan in the DA's office there you need to be a prosecutor for 10 years in the office before you get a murder case back at that time and I was routinely trying them after one year I then was 
accepted into a unit in the office called the Hardcore Gang Division, where we did nothing but prosecute gang murder cases. And over the course of five years, I prosecuted about 40 murder cases to a jury. So I was basically 25 to 30 years of age, a trial lawyer. And I was almost constantly in trial. And most of the cases were murder cases from 26 to 30. The reason I went to law school was to work in the hockey business in some way. I was born and raised in Montreal, played hockey, was a hockey fanatic. I knew uh, I was a, literally a walking, talking hockey encyclopedia as I was growing up and got away from that when I did my trial lawyer thing. After trying a one murder case in particular where a high school honor student was brutally murdered by two gang members, I felt it was time to do something else with my life. And I left the DA's office and opened up my own sports agency with a partner. And together we specialized in representing NHL players, built the agency up over a number of years. Uh, and then we were acquired by Octagon one of the largest sports agencies in the world and our hockey agency and all of our employees were merged into Octagon's existing hockey division where since 2004 I've been the co-managing director of the division and where I still am working there today. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because when we were talking you said, oh, I'd love to be on your podcast. He says, by the way, I had Max on my podcast. I'm like, oh, send me the link. So you did. And I'm looking and uh, great interview, by the way. Max was sharing how much he loved hockey and yeah. how important hockey was to his family and him. And then I started looking at your other episodes and I'm like, man. This is hardcore hockey. This is he, this is his love. And so I thought that was really great. There is a local sports guy here in Dallas called, he's retired now, but his name is Norm Hitzkus. And mm -hmm. he gave advice that I think of all the time. He said, if you talk to Nolan Ryan about his no hitters, you will get polite but pretty boring answers. But if you ask Nolan about the home runs he hits, his face will light up and he will tell you stories. And I always took that to say, everyone wants to talk to Max about maybe the drumming and his performing, but to give him to talk about how much hockey meant to his family they get the chance to talk about something different. And I, and I just think that is, one, it makes for a great interview. And two, it just gives your guest something to shine on. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you say that. Max told some great stories about his time with Bruce. Oh, yes. Um, but he shared 
I've seen him interviewed many times. Um, he was very relaxed. And he told some great stories about his son, Jay. Yes. And, and about what a hockey family they were and about his fandom with New Jersey Devils and all of that, the, the love of the game and the way that he compared the athlete world to what he does. And when you think about it, I one time was backstage with Max literally within a minute after he got off the stage in Anaheim at a Springsteen East Street Band concert. And he was absolutely drenched all the way through. He had a black towel in his hand and he just kept dabbing the sweat that was pouring off him as we talked. And I remember thinking, he's not a young guy. And he looks like a lot of my NHL hockey player clients look after a match, but they're in their 20s, not in there at the time he was in his late 60s. Uh, I think that when you can get someone like Max, who's very intelligent, has a lot of varying interests from architecture to being on the planning commission in Palm Beach to his love of drumming and some of his heroes talking about Buddy Rich and so forth, you get a really interesting conversation out of it. You do. And I loved one of the things is him talking about the not anger, but the angst of like when he's there in Philly at a hockey game, he's like, wait a minute, Philly loves us, but not <laughs> as they love the Eastery band, not the New Jersey devil fans. But yeah, I just thought that was great. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I always like to start at the beginning, Alan. You you mentioned growing up there in Montreal. What kind of music was your family listening to? It's funny. I didn't really get any musical influences from from my parents. I fell in love with music early on. And I'm one of the people, I was born in 1965. And I became a Bruce fan in 1978. And it was the Border Run album. And I really liked the Beatles. I liked Queen. I liked the Rolling Stones. But really, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band and their music has been the soundtrack to my entire life. And if you look at my high school yearbook, my little profile ends, Tramp Like Us, Tramps Like Us. And when I graduated from McGill University in Montreal, uh, that yearbook, Tramps Like Us, and the same thing with law school. So I became an obsessed Bruce and E Street fan after it, it was after Darkness was released. And the first album that I discovered was Born to Run. Then when Darkness was released, I listened to that album and it gripped me and it ha- it's had a hold on me my entire life. And then I went back and discovered Greetings and Wild and the Innocent and that was it. Bruce came to the Montreal Forum when I was 13 years of age on the Darkness Tour. That was the first time I saw them live three plus hours show blew me away i was young i didn't really travel anywhere i had to wait from darkness until the river he uh, came again to montreal in 1981 on the river tour saw that show january 81 and blew me away again and then waited again until 1984 we're early in the Born in the USA tour, he hit Montreal again. So here I was, my third Bruce show, and uh, I was determined to meet him. I was 19 years old, and I'm going to meet Bruce. How am I going to meet Bruce? So at the time, I knew the names of his roadies from the Born in the USA album. He thanked them on the river and I started calling Montreal only has a few five-star hotels, especially back then. And I started calling the hotels 
I didn't think Bruce would be staying under his own name, but I thought maybe the roadies would be. And sure enough, the third hotel I called, they connected me to a room and the gentleman answered. And I said, hey, I'm a huge Bruce fan and I'd love to meet Bruce. You got any advice on how I can go ahead and meet him? And we ended up having a nice conversation on the phone. And he asked a couple of questions about Montreal, places to go, things to see. He'd only been in the city once before. He has an off day with things that he could do. And he goes, listen, kid, I, I can't take you to Bruce's room or anything. I can't do that. But I can tell you that if you hang out in the lobby today around 3 p.m., he's going to be there because he's out and he's going to be coming up, coming back around 3 me and my younger brother go to the hotel. It was the Four Seasons Hotel in Montreal. And we get into the, we go through the main entrance and boom, right by the elevator, standing and talking in a group of people is Bruce, Clarence, and a bunch of other people that I didn't recognize at the time. And my brother and I just walk over there and looked at Bruce and he made eye contact with us and walked over and he's hey you guys how's it going and and we're like Bruce we came down here hoping to meet you he goes oh yeah he goes I could see the way you were looking that you wanted to talk and he walked over with us and to an area that was a little bit more private and we talked for 30 minutes and he was as gracious as can be. We took some awesome photos together. And, and he said, you guys want to come by tomorrow? Leave into the show around four o'clock. You guys want to come by? Because I'll look for you. We can carry on the conversation. So we went back down to the hotel the day of the show around four o'clock and they had a bunch of white vans lined up and we went into the lobby and Bruce and the band were all gathering and he looked around and saw us and he motioned like that and he came over and spent another 15 minutes talking to us before jumping into the white vans and heading to the show. Oh, what a memory. That's awesome. I, yeah, I, that is great. What I remember most about it is I was, I had a huge collection of bootlegs and many of them were unreleased stuff from the studio. And at the time going around in collector circles was roulette and murder incorporated. And I said to him in, in that conversation, why didn't you put roulette on the born in, on the river or I'm born in the USA? I was such a great song. And he looks at me and he smirks and he goes, I don't know that one. And I was like, yeah, you do. And, and he laughed and he said, Oh, he says, I, I just, he goes, yeah, he says, people ask about that. And we talked about it and murder incorporated. He goes, yeah, I'm, and it's gonna get it's gonna get out there. It's <laughs> some point it's gonna get out there. We'll put it out there. I I love that story. I did want to go back 
you you heard Born to Run, you heard Darkness. Can you articulate what about his music spoke to you and captivated you so much? Yeah, it was it, it was the stories and the characters in the stories. Obviously, the music. I, I love the music. I love that kind of music, but there was nobody really singing those stories about those characters. To me, Born to Run is always about somebody who is desperate to go out and live his life, and it's the start of something. It's a town full of losers, and I'm pulling out of here to win. He wants to get out of there in the worst way, and I felt like when I was growing up in Montreal, uh, I always, I, I love the city. I love Montreal. I love growing up in Montreal, but I always felt that I was going to end up somewhere else. And that at some point in time, I was going to go on an adventure and like bust out of town. And I ended up being accepted to law school in LA I had, I, I didn't, ha I'd never been out to LA before in my life. I didn't have any friends or relatives in LA. And I just decided I was accepted to a bunch of different law schools, many on the East coast. And the, the law school in LA I applied to was a flyer. I, I wasn't really serious about going there. And then I got accepted and then I got a scholarship and I made the decision that that's where I'm going to go. So I ended up packing up my, beaten up old Camaro with no air conditioning with my brother and pulled out of Montreal and drove to LA over the course of 10 days and then started a law school three days later. And doing that very much felt here I was always thinking that this is what Born to Run was about busting out of town and leaving. And I don't know what the future is going to hold. I don't know what's out there, but I want to live it. And I want to experience it. And I want to do it. Now I've been out in LA now for since 1990, we're going on actually 87. So it's 30, 37 years I've been out here now, but that's very much what drew me to that music and when I say it was the soundtrack of my life um, there are songs and there are albums that right away bring me back to where I was when I when it was released and a period of time in my life that I can relate to and I think the magic of Bruce's music is Everybody who is a fan can listen to a song or to an album and they can identify with a piece of their own life with that song. If you've had difficulty with a parent growing up, Independence Day may resonate with you. If you, I, I remember thinking about my wedding week and my wedding day and walk like a man resonated with that song. And I think everybody can 
look at their own life and say, yeah, he just told a story, which is about a piece of my life. And I think that's part of the magic of Bruce. I absolutely agree. On a funny note, my son is a firm believer that if you are the lowest person working in a warehouse somewhere or you are the head executive in a high-rise tower, he said, I believe that everyone on Monday morning when the foreman calls time already has Friday on their mind. He <laughs> says, I think that is a universal truth that on Monday, all of us, no matter where our level are going, is it the weekend yet? And <laughs> I always like to preface this, Alan, with the amount of times you've seen Bruce live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. There are plenty of people who adore the man that have never seen him live. There are other people that were lucky enough to go to college in the late 70s, living on the East Coast, that may have just seen him untold times. But you talk about three of the shows you've seen. Do you count? And if so, how many shows? I'm over 140 total. Okay. I couldn't put an exact number on it, but it's somewhere north of 140. Mm -hmm. So what's your feelings about this tour? There is that angst among a very small percentage of people. And I will throw out my thought. I understand being disappointed that the set list is more static than in the past. But I don't understand being angry at him. That's where it falls. I can understand, oh, wish he would but I don't understand the anger at some people with that preference. What's your thoughts? At any time, if we looked at the songs on that song list and said, Bruce and the East street band are playing tonight. And these are the songs that he's playing. We would look at it at any other time and go, Holy shit. That's amazing. Right. Yes. Uh, and I feel personally would I be motivated to maybe get on a plane and see more shows on this tour that I've seen already? I've seen them three times so far and I'll for sure see one show in the, in the next little while again. And I'm going to go see the show in DC because my son is going to university there. And whenever they go to D, they play DC, I go in there and we go to the show together. This will be Nationals Park. I'll see him in Phoenix. I'll see him two shows in LA. I'll see the two shows in San Francisco. And I'll see a bunch of the shows in Canada. So would I be motivated to see even more of the shows? Like when I used to caravan around and see five, six, seven, eight shows in a row? Um, maybe, but every show I've seen on this tour has been amazing. I, I was in Tampa for opening night and it was incredible there. People were flying in from all over the world to, to be there for the first show. We were running it to people 
when my wife and I went to Tampa a couple of days early to make a little trip of it. And, and we're on the beach and there's people from Jersey and there's people from Italy in the elevator and people are, are there from all over the place. They had all traveled to Tampa to see the show and disappointed in the song list in the set list. I, I think that's crazy. I understand how part of the live show experience was Bruce pulling out rarities and when he would pull off the signs from the crowd and play different songs. I get all that, but it's an amazing set list and it does have a theme and it's a story that Bruce wants to tell. And could he very easily vary night after night, eight to 10 songs if he wanted to? I have no doubt. He's doing this on purpose. Yeah. And the, the word is that the tour is going to extend into 2024. Two shows were just announced in Philly that were postponed that are going to be in August of 2024. I have no doubt that when we go into next year, the set list will become more varied, but I I don't understand people who are fans uh, being disappointed by this group of songs. I think that's really well said. And I have had a lot of fans. In fact, I did an episode where, I had three young women, all 21 and under, that had never seen Bruce live. And they were all thrilled about getting to see the band for the first time, right? And this excitement. And you think about, um, it's a very diverse set list. It covers a lot. I got lucky enough both in Houston and Austin. He did If I Was the Priest. I feel like, okay, I can't complain about a wild card, right? I got If I Was the Priest twice. I'm just going to shut up and be happy. I have only seen Mary's Place once, so I'm happy he's doing that again because that's always a song that I love because it reminds me of my grandparents and everyone being on the porch, shelling peas and telling stories and everything. So I want to do that. There's absolutely love songs. I've never heard Better Days Live, and that's my favorite song. I'd love to get Better Days. But you can't complain about this is just... And the three I've seen and everyone I've talked to says the band just keeps getting better. And yep. they're having so much fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Alan, you've already told a great story about meeting Bruce. Do you have other stories from shows that you want to share? There was an, another time that I met Bruce and I was with my son. Okay. Who, who's become a big fan of Bruce, which is amazing to see it passed down to the generation i get a text message from my son on a saturday night dad me and my frat brothers are all sitting on the couch watching no nukes what a jungle land oh my god 
And it's incredible to see that both of my kids in kindergarten filled out a little questionnaire when they were in kindergarten and favorite song at the time I loved Outlaw Pete and played it all the time. And both kids were a favorite song, Outlaw Pete. Um, that That's cool. But uh, Bruce played um, a benefit in LA that was hosted by Conan O'Brien. He was the musical performer. Steven Spielberg, it was his foundation and he spoke. And my daughter idolized Steven Spielberg from a very young age. She had Steven Spielberg posters up all over her bedroom and is in fact now studying film at Berkeley. And, and Barack Obama was the president at the time and he was the guest speaker. So you had Obama and I thought it would be cool for my kids to see the president of the United States speak live. Bruce played two acoustic songs. Spielberg was there. So I ended up getting four tickets and we all went as a family, my two kids with my wife. And right when Obama was done, the event was over. And I said to my son, who was probably 13 at the time, hey, fo follow me. And my wife and daughter were, had met some people and were over on the other side. So my son's following me and he goes, dad, we're never going to get past the secret service. And I said, sure we will just stick with me. <laughs> so he's following me and I'm navigating through the crowd and Obama had left the secret service had left. And we literally walked right up to Bruce and Patty and uh, Bruce looks over at me and He's like, hey, how you doing? And we start talking and my son had hair down to here. 13 years old and hair down to here. And Bruce looks over at my son. And he goes, hey, how you doing? And I said, Bruce, I want to introduce you to my son, Ethan. Bruce bends down and shakes Ethan's hand. And he goes, I love your flow. And my son says something like, I, I saw pictures of you, Bruce, when you were a teenager and I think he goes, yeah, 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 we had the same flow. We got a very similar flow here. And we ended up talking for a little bit back and forth. He was waiting for Steven Spielberg to finish up and, and they were going back and we just had a nice conversation for a while, but it was cool that my son, that was the first time my son met Bruce. That's and, great. And he's met Bruce a couple of other times. And my son's a very recognizable, familiar looking person. We're at the, the Broadway show and we're sitting in the front row. And, and early on in the show, I saw Bruce look over at my son and nodded him as if there was some kind of recognition. And when the show was over, Bruce came over and shook his hand and shook my hand. And went back to the microphone, pulled out a pick, came back and opened it up in my son's hand and gave him his guitar pick off the microphone. 
and it's the stand and then he looks over at my son and he goes that's so nice. that was a cool moment for him as well that's nice that's really cool that's wonderful what's next for you creatively it, it sounds like you're loving the podcast continuing to work and help people find their dreams and on pro hockey what's next for you professionally and personally i'm i'm 58 years old i've been representing nhl players now for this is my 29th year i've got about 40 clients in the nhl that i personally represent my division represents about 80 players in the nhl I have clients like Marc-Andre Fleury, Max Pacioretty, Jonathan Huberto, Jonathan Drouin. I love what I do. I love what I do. I've got incredible freedom to travel. I love to travel with my family. The podcast I started doing very much as a, as a, just as a hobby. I'm, I was frankly very surprised it's become as popular as it is agent provocateur in case anybody would like to check it out i've had on bill hodgman who is one of the lead prosecutors in the oj simpson case who i worked very closely with in the lada's office max weinberg has come on as a lot of my clients have come on as guests and i think it's unique dynamic having an agent who's worked with a player for 20 years to be interviewing his client on the air. I know the stories. Yes. And, and, and some of the interviews, I think the Marc-Andre Fleury interview was a great interview where we told some great stories together of stuff that happened behind the scenes. The Jonathan Huberto interview was great. I've had some young players on that I've, that are coming into the league General managers have come on. Steve Eiserman, general manager of Detroit. Doug Armstrong, the general manager of the St. Louis Blues. Ron Hextall, when he was general manager of Pittsburgh. Ray Shiro was general manager of three NHL teams. He's come on. And we tell negotiation stories. Yeah. Uh, we tell all, We basically it's telling stories. And that's really, and and I think there's an audience for that. And I've enjoyed doing it. We're gearing up to put on season three, which will start again in September. And, and that's basically where I'm at right now. So how are the stars going to do this season? Any thoughts? <laughs> Dallas um, boy. I represented uh, Radic Fax on the Dallas Stars for many years, and uh, he's coming back for another year. The Stars have uh, have come close to winning it all in the in the recent years, and I think they're going to be a really good team next year. Yeah, I will just lightly touch on this. Is it because you spent so many years as a prosecutor? hearing all the noise and news coming about on a national stage and from Georgia and DC and New York. 
not to get political, but thoughts. Are you just, is this, I find it as just a regular guy, almost overwhelming about all that's happening. And someone who's a more, has a more learned knowledge and things, thought any things to share about that from a perspective? I, I learned long ago that the one thing you don't talk about are politics and religion. Very nice. And... <laughs> I, I will skip that out. Very nice. Very good. I totally get that. It just, it is, I, when I thought of you being a prosecutor, I'll cut this out. You talked about going to 140 shows. We talked about you're really happy uh, with the going, but are there, is there a song you're chasing? Are there a couple of songs that if you did have that magic golden ticket that you could say, I want to hear this live, is there songs you're chasing? There's one song in particular that I'm, it chased a couple of songs in the past until he actually played it. That's nice. I'll I'll tell you a couple of those, but you mentioned if I was the priest. If I was the priest was one of my favorite Bruce songs of the last 40 years. And I've had the Hammond demo piano, acoustic piano version of If I Was the Priest. And that song, it just, it gripped me and I love it. And I couldn't believe it when I saw it for the first time on the uh, set list, rumored set list of Letter to You. And when it came out that day and um, hearing the full band version, I burst into tears. And it just, that song still gives me chills every time I hear it. And uh, I, I was sure he would play it opening night in Tampa. He didn't. He played it the next night in on the other side of the state in Florida. I wasn't at that show. He's played it a couple of times. I think he played it in Tulsa. I, I know he played it in Houston and Austin because I got that up both nights. Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't heard it yet. And he hasn't varied. Last night in Jersey, played Sherry Darling for the, the first time of the tour. I'm So I'm chasing if I was the priest. For years, I chased Lost in the Flood. Okay. And, and he played it in Buffalo in 09 at the last show of the working on a dream tour, which was Clarence's last full band show before he passed. And when they did greetings, the in chronological order, uh, it was announced before the show. That's what he was going to play. I knew going to Buffalo, I was going to get finally lost in the flood. And I was with both my brothers there. And we were going through the songs. And when we knew Lost in the Flood was coming next, they were looking at me and the opening strand, dun, 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 the way that they do the intro to Lost in the Flood and lost it again. And we had our arms around each other 
and all sang together the song. They're big fans too. And it was an amazing moment. That's great. All right. I'm going to get to the Mary question, but any final thoughts you want to share with the listeners? Um, no, I'm just here to answer any questions you might have. All right. Jay Arm, this is great. I feel like we could keep talking for another two hours. Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher that's recently retired, but when he was teaching, he would give his high school seniors in his honors English class the lyrics to Thunder Road, and they would break it apart as if it was a poem going through the lyrics, discussing the imagery Bruce is painting, the choice of words, the themes. And then he would ask his students at the end of the day, does Mary get in the car? So Alan, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? 100%. 100% she gets in the car and the two characters bolt out of town. And I think the characters from Thunder Road very much are visited again in in various songs in darkness. Yeah, I think so. There is a there. Someone on the show said that when racing in the street, when she talks about her daddy's porch, that's the same porch she danced across. One of my favorites is that someone had a theory that Moonlight Motel is the couple from Thunder Road and they drove all the way to California. They spent their life together and now he's mourning Mary. And that's what Moonlight Motel is about. And I think, yeah, I think that's a lovely thought. That's a lovely thought. Alan, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? If someone wants to reach me, the best way would be by email Alan, A-double-L-A-N dot Walsh, W-A-L-S-H at Octagon, O-C-T-A-G-O-N dot com. All right. Alan, I am going to be in Phoenix, so maybe we can figure out a way to, to meet so we can exchange a hug and buy each other a beverage, and maybe we'll both get priest again. <laughs> Jesse, it'd be my pleasure, really. Thank you. All right, listeners, go check out the podcast, even if you're not a fan of hockey. It is a, it is not a podcast about hockey. It is a podcast about stories, about entertaining stories. I have loved it, and I really am glad you sent me the link. I've had a lot of fun listening to it, and so I thank you for that so much. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. All right, listeners, go check out the podcast. I will see you hopefully at a show, but for now, be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Tramps, tramps like us. Tramps like us. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one the only said listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.